0: We're in Ephesians chapter number 5, where in verse 21, we were talking about how all of us Christians are expected to submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. Submission is not a dirty word. Submission is all about finding where we fit in the structure of the church and of family and how that will contribute to the benefit of everyone involved. So, in the family, the wife is encouraged to submit to the husband. Basically, you've got a partnership, and that partnership is for the benefit of the whole, but every once in a while, decisions have to be made that maybe the two persons don't agree on and so at that point the team leader has to make the choice and that team leader is going to be the husband and the wife needs to follow the lead of that husband. Now I already warned you husbands that You shouldn't be looking at this as, I'm the boss, and she is my slave. I get to call the shots, and she has to just buckle under. That is not the way this was intended. If you make a choice and it blows up, God will hold you accountable for that. If you decide to go a different route, go the route that your wife suggests and it blows up, that's not her fault. That will be on you because you're the team leader. And you can go back to Adam and Eve's story in the book of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 to see where all this came into play. Uh, They were a perfect partnership until sin entered the world, until chaos came into their relationship. And then God... Put a lead in place because Adam tried to throw his wife under the bus. No husbands will ever be allowed to do that again. All husbands are responsible for all decisions made by the team. And so keep that in mind, which is why the thing we closed on last time, which I want to open with this time, is the responsibility of the husband. As team leader, He's not to cop an attitude. He is supposed to be like Jesus in the relationship. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, you need to be ready to die for your wife. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So Jesus Christ gave everything for the church because she was everything to him. And when we talk about the church, we know that's us. Us. We who needed a Savior. Jesus gave everything everything of himself to save us from our sins and to make us part of the family. He was the perfect team leader. He was the perfect husband to the church. And so he becomes the standard by which we husbands are supposed to lead in the team leadership of our families. So verse 28, in that same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Now, we already know there are some people out there that don't care about themselves. That's not the standard that Paul is referencing. He's referencing the normal situation for the vast majority of people, and that is people care about themselves. They feed their face, they make sure they have a place to live and sleep and even recreate. They do all of that because they care about themselves. And so Paul says you guys need to care as much even more for your wives than you do for yourself. Because that was the Jesus attitude for the church. And we're needing to follow his standard. Because we're all part of the body of Christ. And we are in this together. I repeat my advice to couples you are in this together. It's you against the world, you are the partnership that is supposed to hang together and uphold each other and protect each other. And so you husbands are the team leader in that approach, uh, because that is going to lend success to your marriage if you take that attitude. And wives will have a lot less issue to uh, deal with in submitting to that sort of team leadership. Verse 31, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And if you don't recognize it, that's from Genesis chapter 2. It is the beginning of marriage. And uh, we have to speak out on this as Christians because the society of the world is trying to change this. Um, The design of God is clear in creation. It was one man with one woman for a lifetime, and actually it was for eternity at the very beginning. Uh, But uh, marriage is the commitment that happens when one man leaves his mom and dad and partners with a wife, and he gives himself entirely to her and she to him, And they become one. Now, a lot of times we get focused on the sexuality portion of that, the physicality portion of that. But the truth of the matter is, it's much more than just that. They are emotionally one. They are mentally one. They are spiritually one. They become a partnership across the board. They are a unit working together for the benefit of the unit uh, from the standpoint of God himself. Now, verse 32, Paul says, this mystery is profound, Uh, a reference again to what was said in the book of Genesis, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So, Paul says, this is This is a very special teaching that we can use here, an allegory from the book of Genesis, how the church submits to Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ loves and sacrifices for the church. That's their relationship. But it is also to be applied to every Christian marriage. The husband loves and sacrifices for the wife, and the wife responds in submission to that sort of team leadership, and together they will move forward for the benefit of the group. Uh, Verse 33, "...however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." And I think it's very natural, and I've heard this in classes on relationships between husbands and wives, I think it's very natural for a wife to respect a husband that is self-sacrificing on behalf of her and the family. And so this should all fall together if each person just submits to each other out of respect for Jesus Christ. Remember that the word submission can also uh, be demonstrated in the word yield, and so husbands need to yield to their wives as well. Uh, Sometimes you just let her go first, let her make the choices, uh, because she's valuable to you, and her her thinking and her actions matter to the whole. So, husbands, do your part. Wives, do your part. And make sure that everyone references Jesus Christ in the marriage. Now, most marriages produce children. So, Paul goes to that next part of the organization of the family. You have the husband and wife, which is a team with the husband providing the team leader position, Uh, and then along come one or more kids, and they join the team, and they have a responsibility in this team as well. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, the word for obedience is to listen under. That is, get your ears perked open, and then do what you're told. Now, children, that is your responsibility in the family. And we're talking about minor children here. Those that are still under the leadership of their children. Parents, because they are not yet old enough to be responsible for themselves. So, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That's God's plan. Verse 2 Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And all you have to do is go back to. Exodus chapter 20, verse number 12, and you'll see this quote. It's part of the Ten Commandments, where the Israelis have come out of Egypt. They've been uh, in Egypt for 430 years. They've lost some of the connection to their past. Uh, They've lost some of the connection with the God of the universe. Things are kind of screwed up in their lives, and so God gives them the law to help them Get re-centered. And one of the commandments was, you children need to show respect and honor and obedience to your mom and dad. And then things will go well for you. You'll have a chance to live a lot longer in the land of promise that you're heading into. Uh, This is the reality. Children who follow rules... Tend to have less accidents, tend to get less uh, get sick less often, and they certainly have a less a lesser chance of being um, killed because they're trying to stay safe according to rules. And so, mom and dad are the first rule givers for kids. And so, uh, all of you minor kids out there that might be listening to this lesson right now, you've got one responsibility: Do what Mom and Dad tell you to do and stay safe. You know, when they tell you, don't run out into the street, you know, don't play uh, uh, you know, this particular dangerous uh, game or activity without supervision. Your mom and dad are not trying to spoil your fun. They're trying to keep you safe. And so just obey. And uh, those of you that are no longer minor children, you don't have to obey mom and dad. You're making your own choices now, but you are still responsible for the honor, mom and dad. Show them respect. Show them appreciation for the fact that they tried To help you grow up safe and uh, to grow up in a way that would benefit you. Uh, Now, I will acknowledge, and I hate having to do this, some of you did not have loving parents, and I am sorry for that. I'm sorry if your mom and your dad, your biological mom and dad, did not look out for you, did not care about you. And I pray to God that you found somebody... Some adult, maybe in your family, maybe at school, maybe at church, that stepped in and showed you that sort of love and concern and um, taught you the right things. Um, Definitely honor those people, those people that stepped in and acted like real moms and dads. Uh, and if you still have contact uh, with your biological mom and dad who didn't do good things for you, at the very least, pray for them. Pray for them that they have repented. Pray for them that they will have their eyes opened and see the light of Jesus Christ and be saved. Uh, Because even though they dropped the ball for you, Jesus Christ still cares for them and wants them to be saved. And if that's what Jesus wants, you should want it as well. So, children, obey and honor your parents. Fathers, verse number four, and I think we could make this parents just as much. Uh, the only reason the fathers are focused on is because they're the lead of uh, the parent team. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. So fathers need to not just push their kids' buttons. Uh, Again, dads, you are not your kids' bosses. They are not your little slaves where you get to tell them what to do and they have to jump. Uh, You are their dad and you are to be looking out for them. You're to be thinking what would be best for them. Uh, Just like with your wife, you should be willing to die for them. So fathers, don't push your children into anger against you and against the Lord. Instead, do this. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, So this is very much Old Testament teaching, is that parents are responsible for representing God to their kids. They are the first teachers of God to their children. They should be. And so dads, as the team leader in the family, your goal should be to help them get themselves organized. The idea of discipline is to get strong and organized. Uh, You want want them to be disciplined, and you want them to be well-instructed. If they choose to go against the rules of the house, which are the rules of Scripture, then yes, you might have to set down certain penalties for not living by those rules. Uh, The older they get, uh, the less likely you'll be able to enforce those. Because eventually, you know, every child becomes a teenager who then becomes an adult. And the teenager's goal, as you all know, because you've been there, uh, and you've also experienced it firsthand, many of you as parents, The number one goal of a teenager is to get out of their parents' house and out from under their parents' rules, to be on their own, to be their own person, making their own choices. Uh, So parents, dads in particular, you need to work with them when they're younger. Moms especially are working with them when they're younger uh, and try to help them formulate good choices and good thinking processes that are based on scripture uh, while they're younger, so that when they do get older and they are moving toward that independence that you certainly should want them to have, uh, that they have been brought up in the discipline and instruction of God himself. So that's the goal. Um, Moms and dads work as a team Raising the kids, kids honor and obey the parents and then get out on their own and more than likely become parents themselves. So that's the family structure that is supposed to be submitting to one another out of respect and reverence for Jesus Christ. The really big uh, thing from the first century that we don't have anymore. Uh, is slavery. Now, this is not slavery like early American slavery. This is slavery that typically happened because of financial indebtedness. Uh, either the the dad of the household uh, owed money and ended up being sold into slavery uh, or a woman ended up owing money and got sold into slavery, or maybe the parents owed money, and so the kids get sold into slavery. Sometimes, because of wars and skirmishes between regions, uh, when uh, the dust settled after the conflict, uh, cities, regions would owe money to the victor. Uh, and uh, if they did not have silver and gold and other precious items uh, to satisfy the repayment of war costs, then slaves would be taken from the population in order to pay off those war reparations. And so people, there were a lot of slaves in the first century uh, empire. And uh, many slaves came Into faith of Jesus Christ. And so Paul needs to address this relationship reality that existed in the society of the first century. Uh, The closest thing that we can talk about in our own society is um, employers and employees. But that is not a perfect comparison, and that should be understood. We can only be talking about principles when it comes to that modern-day relationship. Uh, This is a topic on Paul's heart right now, because remember, he generated the book of Ephesians because he's getting ready to book write the book of Colossians, and he's writing the book of Colossians because he's written the book of Philemon, and he wrote the book of Philemon because he is sending back to Colossae a young slave, or I don't know how old he was, but a slave by the name of Onesimus. And that slave is being sent back to his slave owner or holder of his indebtedness contract, uh, a Christian man by the name of Philemon, and Paul says, uh, Philemon came to me as a runaway slave, and he was useless to you. But now he's embraced Jesus Christ; he's been born again, and I'm sending back I'm sending him back to you because it's the right thing to do. But now he's going to be useful to you. And you, Philemon, need to treat him not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. So this is a really important topic for Paul to address in these two letters that he's sending to the region of Asia, uh, Asia province. So verse number five, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. Now this is the idea of submission, because slaves uh, were under the authority of the slave holder. So slaves obey your earthly masters. That is, listen to them and do what you're told, with fear and trembling. That is, with respect, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Paul is assuming that the slaves reading this letter are already believers in Jesus Christ. So obey your master just like you would obey Jesus Christ. Verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Uh, The eye service idea is you don't do it just when they're watching you you know, put on a little performance, you know, see how busy I am. And as soon as the boss or as soon as the slaveholder looks the other direction, you're back to lounging around and not doing what you're supposed to be doing. So you're just putting on a show. You're being a hypocrite, a a hypocrite, a play actor. And of course, we know that's not acceptable behavior for Christians. So he says, you're going to do it like you're Jesus Christ's servant, and you're going to be doing it. You're going to be doing God's work from the very core of your being. Verse seven, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So you're doing, you're going to do it with a good attitude, and you're going to do it not because you're doing it for your boss, because he is your boss but you're doing it for Jesus Christ because that's what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to be the best slave in the first century context or the best employee because you're working for Jesus. You're doing your work for Jesus, not your boss, not your slaveholder. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a slave or free. So everything we do is watched by God, taken in consideration by God. So when we, as slaves in the first century, as employees in the modern era, when we go to work, when we take up our responsibilities for the day, for the moment, we do it for God. And we know that God will respond accordingly. Remember, one of the things that we quote all the time is that one of these days we want to hear these words from Jesus Christ. Well done, good and faithful servant, or good and faithful slave. Enter into your master's rest. So we want... To get a pat on the back from Jesus Christ once we come into his presence one of these days. And what we do now is going to determine what he will do then. So I would encourage you, uh, be a good employee. Make sure you give a good day's work for a good day's pay, and make sure that your your uh, product is a quality product because that's what you'd want to do for Jesus.